bringing attention, collecting, composing, recognizing, realizing, here and now, santitiko, akaliko, ehipasiko, upanaiko, bhajatang, vetidapo, inyuhi. Chanting the, recollecting the uh, Dhamma. Notice all these words are they're not descriptions of size or shape or form or color. They're like apparent here and now. That doesn't have any shape or color, does it? It's not big or small. It's a suggestion. You know, it says apparent here and now, so it's not something that is somewhere else. So then we reflect Dhamma, Santitika Dhamma, and apparent here and now. Akalika, timeless. And so this here and now is like, is timelessness. When we put time into it, then it, you know, becomes uh, the past, the future. But when we awaken, just pay attention, then we're, we're in the, uh, the Akalika Dhamma, timelessness. And for it to create time, then we start thinking, uh, yesterday, tomorrow, today I have to do this. And we start thinking about doing things, accomplishing things we've done in the past. But if we stop thinking, just pure presence, then we recognize akalika, timeless, ehipasiko, the uh, English translation of A. Pasco, encouraging investigation. I mean, it's we to investigate the timeless and apparent here now. Doesn't it? Isn't it? We're not trying to describe it or analyze it in terms of of good, bad, right, or wrong, but recognizing, investigating, getting to the root, noticing. A. He A. He also has this sense of come and see. It's a it's like an invitation. See for yourself. Don't believe me. Wake up and live, in other words. Wake up and see. These aren't just philosophical ideas. Akalika ehipasika dhamma. So in this way, we, you know, this, this uh, I found this very, you know, this very skillful, this Recollecting the Dhamma, Santitiko, Akaliko, Ehipasko, Upanaiko. Upanaiko is translating onward or inward. But whatever, it, it, you know, it's not something that you. is static or fixed. We're not trying to find something permanent and, and hold to it. But the attitude is much more freedom, relinquishment awakened awareness that's freedom, liberating. We're not trying to find something called Dhamma to, to grasp hold of. So we, you know, we're aware of what both the internal, the, the emotional, the conceptual tendencies we have. You know, the thoughts, the memories, the emotions, the feelings, the sensitivity of our own bodies and karmic formations. And then uh, what we perceive through the senses, the objects of sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. And then budgetang weitidapo winuhi, to be experienced individually by the wise. So each one of us is in a position 
the Buddha position, looking at the Dhamma, recognizing, realizing that the way it is, and yet each one of us is is uh, is sangha, but we're not emphasizing our, you know, our seniority or our attainments <coughs> or our gender or our um, abilities or lack of them in any personal way. Sangha is is not doesn't have the personal. Uh, it's not personal. It's not about what I think and my practice. There's the eight pairs, the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings. So it's not for for me to say I'm one of those eight pairs and then I get back into conceiving myself as somebody. It's a, it's a reflective guide, the four pairs, the eight kinds. And so it's like learning to use these concepts with panya rather than with uh, the ego, the thinking mind, which in all of us is highly developed, you know, this sense of per individuality, of personality, of identity, separateness is uh, is very much highly uh, developed in, in each one of us. So in, in reflecting on the, the, the fetters and the four stages, the four stages are Sotapanna, Sakata, Kamiana, Kamiyanahan, this, this is like a a guidebook or a map. It's not to be grasped and, you know, you, if you have a good map, it uh, it helps you in getting to your destination. You, you know, if you just look at the map without, you know, and then you, you never get anywhere. <laughs> so if you, <laughs> and you don't identify with a map, we don't say I'm the M25 ever. <laughs> and you're going to London. So these Sotapanna Sakata Kami, Anakami Arahant, they're 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 like helpful ways of reflecting, not personal attainments. Now the personal sense of personal attainment is all in the first three fetters. You know the sense of I am. The Sakyadidi Silabhata Baramasa. So that's why uh, emphasizing that, because it's, you know, once you once you see through these th fetters, then you you actually the Sotapanna is is that point where you there's knowing of the path, the way of mindfulness. You know, the doubt, the vichikita, is no longer the thing that intimidates and takes you over, and the personality. Uh, you have the kind of character, the personal qualities, emotional habits that you have are no longer uh, the intimidating conditions that you that easily uh, overwhelm you. You've got perspective. You see them. You know them. You still experience them, but you know them. It's like the Buddha after his enlightenment, Mara would try to tempt the Buddha. And Buddha just says, I know you, Mara. It's as simple as that. It was not that after the Buddha's enlightenment, Mara was vanquished forever, annihilated permanently. So I also see Mara as a kind of, uh, like a devil's advocate. 
Uh, you know, it's coming to test you. See how, you know, whether you can recognize it or not. You know, so you, rather than seeing, you know, seeing Mara as some personal enemy, which it's not, you know, look at it as something to, you know, it's putting you to the test. Can you, can you know Mara, you know, because it's not going to appear as, you know, a evil demon with a forked tail and horns. That's easy one. Whenever that one occurs, you know, it's hopeless, you know, because I, I recognize it every time. <laughs> Same old worn-out costume for evil. <laughs> but they, uh, you know, Mars uh, can be quite dazzling and, and uh, saintly, saintly and Lovely. Now, taking uh, <coughs> you know, like the senses. <coughs> right now, we're all experiencing sensitivity. You know, that's why, like, to know the world is the world, uh, and accept the world. You know, it's not like putting the world down or trying to get rid of it, but to know the world because uh, the human body is a sensitive form in the universe. And just by th reflecting on it in this way, you know, having this this center point sitting here in this spot with this body, and it senses, and it senses, and it's a sensitive form. So it sees and hears and smells and tastes and touches and thinks. So sensitivity is uh, is to be reckoned that that which is aware of sensitivity, that which uh, attaches to sensitivity, tries to resist it. You know, trying to become insensitive, get rid of pain, get rid of discomfort, uh, negative thoughts, and so forth. Is one is identified with the sensitivity, and one follows the the dualistic tendency to want happiness and get rid of suffering. But then this puto, knowing the dhamma, puto tammo, is is awareness of sensitivity. So it's a different way of looking, isn't it? It's not identification, it's not denial of sensitivity or, you know, trying to get rid of it, but recognize sensitivity is like this. This realm in this human form, planet Earth, uh, this is the, this is the, uh, you know, experience of sensitivity, sense realm, sensual realm. And so the six ayatanas, uh, in uh, the Pali uh, formulas, are to be investigated, you know, so we kind of recognize what what being sensitive through sight is, how much sight affects us, you know, so when we see something uh, we like or don't like, or something beautiful or hideous or whatever, this is about sensitivity, not about self. So we're we're kind of have to live with these sensitive forms uh, from birth to death of the body, living you know with it and learning from it, no longer identifying and 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 you know wishing it were something else or better or you know the the sakaditi is always uh, this illusion of of self connected to the five khandhas or the ayatanas. So, like being old is the old body is uh, you know if 
a lot of people resent getting old. You know, that their body starts, you know, you get over 40. <laughs> In the United States, always the jokes about somebody stays permanently 39 years old. <laughs> 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 As after you admit to 40, that means you're in the definitely in the middle age bracket. And that's a, that's a, I don't know if that in Britain, whether there, that was one of the uh, American jokes of at least of my generation. So you, you never admitted to age after 39. <laughs> because 40 is, you know, kind of to, to a lot of people, you know, the, the beginning of uh, old age. When you're 72, 40 looks very young. And even 60 now looks young to me. You get these sprightly 60-year-olds bopping about. Because <laughs> 70, definitely the body is uh, on the downhill slide. <laughs> More than, than I've ever noticed at 60. But in terms of Dhamma, uh, aging is just the way things, uh, that's the nature of the body. Being the result of being born is old age. So it's very simple, you know, that uh, if, if you're not born, you don't get old. So, you know, it's, it's a kind of a truism. <laughs> you don't get sick and you don't die. All those that were never born, they never get old, never get sick, never die. But right now, I'm, I'm experiencing this. The, that which was born 72 years ago is now 72 and a half years old. <laughs> so, I mean, it's... Uh, and this is, this is what it's like. So, it's a reflecting. Where, say, on Sakyaditi level, I, I have no... Uh, even on the Sakyaditi level, I don't have any, any problems around identifying with old age. This is not a concept I, you know, I find uh, I can't accept. I'm quite, even on the, the ego level, quite willing to be an old man. Doesn't, isn't something I deny or want to deny. Now in the senses, you can explore the senses. It's like, like a sight and looking at things. It's like a, a, a investigating space with your eyes, you know, the space between the monks, the nuns, the lay people, the, is, is a way of investigating seeing and recognizing how form and color affect consciousness. Like, like Buddha Rupas, you know, they have their impingement on consciousness when you look at this Buddha Rupa on the shrine. Icons, religious icons, symbols, uh, have have a certain, uh, like when you call something an icon, that means it's kind of an accepted form. It's it's not just uh, somebody's new idea, the latest fashion. So it, it and usually like Buddha Rupas definitely have iconic power. I mean, they there's a certain you don't want them to look like. Uh, somebody alive today, like some film star or anything like that. You, they have a certain kind of traditional style that, uh, that has, you know, we could criticize it from 
modern a attitudes about what human beings look like, but that's not the point, is it? It's to recognize how the, the form itself, how it affects consciousness. So that's like investigating, noticing how shape and form and color affect us, because this is sensitivity. We aren't just, you know, indifferent to, to, to forms. Uh, body language is an obvious one, isn't it? How we, how we walk or move has its effect on, on the people around us. Now this is because of the sensitive state of this whole realm that we're experiencing. And then you the senses like smell, the, the, the fragrance or stenches, different levels of odors or touch, heat and cold, pleasure, pain in the body, taste. Then in, then in terms of listening, now this is a sense that, you know, when we, when we listen, it's like, to me, this, this sense, this ability to listen is the is the what what I've used and developed in my meditation practice because of all the senses you know they all are worth investigating or because understand them but you know when it's not it's much more like one can just listen more passively at least this is it's easier for me to just open up on the listening level I can even close my eyes listen I can listen to my own thoughts. When 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 anger arises or greed or uh, I can I can hear it, you know the kind of voice that voices that come from emotional uh, feelings that I'm having, or to the external sounds, to the sound of the birds or the wind or the rain or whatever, so, traffic, whatever. So this this uh, listening is, uh, you know, is, is what I've developed. So this sound of silence that I talk about, just by listening, became increasingly aware of this kind of vibratory background, which isn't really a sound as such. Not like other sounds, because it, it's a flowing sound. It does not like it has a, a, a beginning and end, like do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, or the, like music or anything like that. It is it is what it is. Tends to seem rather high pitch. It has a continuity. See, it's a flow. We're trying to imagine a static sound. It's, you know, sound definitely is something that moves, you know, when we listen to music, isn't it? It's it's definitely the movement of sound. It doesn't it's like you can't petrify it. So sound of silence is like a stream, or c you could call it stream of consciousness, or whatever words you want to apply to it. It is what it is. Remember, I'm thinking of the stream of consciousness as thinking process. And uh, generally, from my memory <coughs> in psychology, when you talk about stream of consciousness, usually about conceptual proliferation, how the uh, the thinking process rattles on, but then. That's okay too. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's just different m way of looking at it. Now, this sound of silence is more like a stream or consciousness, and that's why I've used it for recognizing pure consciousness because it's not. It's no longer. 
it's not emphasizing personality, uh, what is it, not the self, the sense of me as a person dissolves in it. And it is when you when you listen to the sound of silence, you're perfectly present. You're not you don't go into a trance, so you're not kind of lost in some blissful state, totally unaware. <laughs> so you're not locked into some kind of trance of any sort. It's present, here and now, timeless. It isn't about past or present or future. Definitely present. And then if you <coughs> begin to develop it, cultivate it, then uh, more and more you, you, you begin to notice. It's like noticing the spaces between the monks and nuns. You're aware of where you're not just jumping from one one object to the next. Like on personal level, isn't it? You, you look at the, the, this monk and that one and this nun and you think of their names and and emotions that arise and things like this or going from one thing to the next to the shrine the walls the ceiling the floor all the things and then the space spaces here and now it's not some new thing that just happened to come in it is you know it's easily ignored because we're we're emotionally so stirred up by the conditions, by the things in the in the room. The same way the sound is silent. It's this this sense of infinity, no boundary, no self. And yet space, visual space, doesn't mean we have to get rid of everything in it. To notice it, it's just a matter of acknowledging it, recognizing it. You know, I don't say you have to get up and leave for me to recognize space in this room. The same with sound of silence. You're not giving up, you know, trying to, to get rid of thoughts and self and all the rest by, by attaching to sound of silence. But this sound of silence, recognizing it, then the, the importance and, and the uh, tendency to grasp thoughts, sense of self, emotional feelings of the moment, it, they fall away. It's like they dissolve in this stream. Then in, in Tamanu Sati, you know, seen in terms of Dhamma, then we're able to see, you know, the word, the traditional Dhamma forms, you know. We, our reflective ability is really good then. The Four Noble Truths, the dependent origination, you know, you, you can use these to kind of sharpen, sharpen up your, to use wisdom, Using these Dhamma terms, not as to form opinions and views about Buddhism and the, and yourself as being someone who understands Dhamma, which is what we don't want to do. We don't want to become experts and and uh, authorities on Dhamma on a personal level. We're trying to free ourselves from that tendency to identify and claim and possess. So just as uh, this recognition, you know, this this spaciousness, this boundlessness, immeasurableness of consciousness, and the body, you know, one's own body, this physical form, is in this consciousness. And it's not about consciousness being in my brain or my head. It's consciousness is is uh, has this like space. It's not.
something uh, that's inside me. Yet it is, too. It permeates everything. Space, consciousness. So in terms of Dhamma, these are the immeasurables. In terms of direct experience, you know, you can prove this to yourself. This, uh, this isn't kind of metaphysical speculation. In terms of this very moment, you know, here and now, not according, you know, nothing about right and wrong according to scriptural authority or the, or, you know, the sages of the past, but just to, in terms of experience right now in this, from the position you're in, in the state you're in at this very moment. So when you begin to recognize the, the space and consciousness, you know, sustaining, sustaining your attention on it, on the sound of silence, for example. Because we're not used to, to sustaining attention on anything like that. It's easily ignored. Most people don't even notice it. You know, just not recognized as anything. I don't know of anyone else who teaches this, this particular style. That's why I'm afraid it's going to be called Ajahn Sumato's. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not. <laughs> it's just a. <laughs> it's just a. Uh, Upaya I found very helpful. So it's not a matter of, of you know proving it scripturally, but y using what is apparent here and now. You know what the way it is. The Dhamma. Now, in in this kind of investigation, when I do this, you know, I've really developed this this Sakya Ditti practice. So instead of just trying to to um, get rid of ego and personality, I really create ego and personality, but I'm doing it intentionally and listening, so my ego and personality can go to any extreme whatsoever. I can be arrogant and tyrannical and revengeful and mean-hearted, nasty, brutal, violent. I can become saintly, sweet, nice, politically correct, um, pusillanimous. I create my uh, pusillanimous ego or any level, any 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 quality, you know, from the strongest to the weakest, the best to the worst, the saint to the sinner. But the point is, is listening in that the background is sound of silence. The Sakya Ditti is uh, what I'm creating. So in this way, now this, this Upaya, this is a skillful means, is getting to recognize what Sakya Ditti really is. You know, something I, c I can create. But I'm doing it with intention for investigation, not out of ignorance, uh, you know, and trying to, to and it's not just trying to develop power of positive thinking to truly love myself on, on this level of self, but, or to just criticize myself. But it includes all that. So the background is sound of silence, and the sakyaditi, the thinking process, but I'm listening to it. It goes on, it goes the best to worst, good, bad, 
You can investigate even the things you're most afraid of. You know, the things that really threaten you personally. The kind of dark shadows, the dark side of your self, the latent tendencies for madness and so on, <laughs> the fears. Because intent with intention, you know, you're resting in this away in this sound of silence and you're listening, then the then these conditions uh, you know, have perspective, you have perspective on it. You're not attached to them. It's not avicca or ignorance. So then it's like <coughs> your your interest is in the sound of silence, not in the not in the uh sakyaditi. So the sakyaditi can be mild or strong or good and bad, right or wrong, but your interest, like the space between monks, isn't it? You're, you're interested, you're paying a special attention to the space. So who's in the space is no longer, you're, you're not interested in that anymore. You're not reacting or carrying on about the, the different people in the space. The same with the, Sakyaditi in the th- with the sound of silence. When when the the good tomato and the bad tomato cease, there's still this in the arrogant, conceited, tyrannical tomato ceases. There's still this sound of silence, and there's still this pure subjectivity. It's not ego. Ego has arisen and ceased. And when the self ceases, there's this, pure subjectivity, awareness. It's intelligent. It's not, you don't go into zombie-like mode or a trance or go unconscious. But it's very, it's very attentive, very alert. And recognizing the, the peacefulness of this natural state and how how painful it is to become Sakyaditi again. You know, where where do I fit in? Where do I belong <coughs> on the on this uh, personal level? Where is my real home? What is my true identity? My true I want true friends and and I want to fit in and feel at ease with life. Where do I belong in the in this vast ocean of conditioned phenomena? You know, and so you you know we can spend our lives trying to fit in or find something where we feel at ease or where we f- we have a sense of belonging on a personal level, but then we never really get out of that, isn't it? And even as sometimes we we find places or find friends where we feel at ease and where we belong, but then they change. You know, things change, conditions change. So you can't, even that feeling of belonging is very uh, ephemeral. You can't, you can't hold on to it and keep it. It's very dependent. But in this, this is natural. This is tamachat. This is the, se- the separateness that comes through attaching to sakyaditi isn't there anymore. And that's the problem, isn't it? Sakyaditi, in all its its range, from A to Z, is uh, you know it's separative. 
makes you feel separate. I mean, that's it, that's its nature. It's a, that's its function. Thinking, the thinking process, is for criticism, analysis, reason and logic, judgment, comparing what the best and the worst, right and wrong, good and bad. On that level, the dualism, you know, it's not, I'm not against dualism. You know, I'm not trying to wipe out dualism, but to put it in perspective to where I'm no longer limited by it or deluded by dualistic thinking. It's like yesterday morning, a reflection on right and wrong. Being brought up in that dualistic structure where right and wanting to be right and fear of being wrong. So on that level of sakyaditi, you know, you're constantly being challenged, uh, afraid of being wrong, doubts about being right, wanting external forces to come and say, this is right and that's wrong, you do this and you don't do that, and this is good and that is bad, something, you know, have the authority the the priest or the president or the father or mother or whatever say this is right that's wrong everything clearly defined and then in the sound of silence right and wrong there's room for both right and wrong for all dualist all dualisms you know space doesn't you know doesn't pick and choose it allows whatever is in it to be there Consciousness doesn't pick and choose. Whatever, you know, arises and presents itself is the way it is. It's not, it's, it's not judging. It's not saying, oh, that's a wicked thought or that you shouldn't think like that or you're a good boy because you had that, that generous, kind thought. Uh, you know, it isn't, it isn't patting you on the back or, or whipping you when, you when you're naughty. But it's certainly knowing. So sakyaditi is is to be understood, you know, not to be, uh, you know, not trying to get rid of our egos, but to let go of our egos, meaning no longer be limited, bound into the ego habits, which is then the loneliness, separation, suffering, despair, always wanting something, discontentment, and so forth arise from this attachment to Sakyaditi, Tilabhata Paramasa Vichikicca. So I remember when I first started using this sound of silence, it was like a d discovery. Suddenly, I, you know, I had this, this kind of koan. I think, what? how can I stop thinking? How do you stop thinking? Because I could see that that, you know, I just was so, I couldn't stop the thinking process. And it would always kind of return onto itself and create doubt and and longing and kind of despair and frustration in my meditation practice. So, so I, you know, I think if I could stop thinking, then, so I tried to willfully stop thinking, like that, order myself in imperative, stop thinking. And then I couldn't sustain that. And I got very tense, you know, just by willpower. <coughs> straining, you know. 
or this willful uh, aversion to thinking, you know, the verse wa not wanting to think anymore, trying to get rid of it. And that's obviously doesn't work. <laughs> so then, recognizing this, I began to notice this sound of silence. And I noticed that if I stayed with it, the, the thinking stopped. Or I did these, these uh, investigations of doubt, you know, who am I, and and noticing the when when the thinking process stops when you when you ask yourself a question. So it's like like beginning to just notice space, visual space. Suddenly I'm aware of non-thought, of consciousness without thought in it. It's like this. It's all these non-pluses, non-plural in in the thinking process where thinking stops, and then there's this gap. It's like the space between the individuals in this room. You're noticing it. You're conscious. It's conscious, and you're noticing it. Where even though it's present all the time, we may never notice the space. We just take it for granted. It's never consciously recognized because we. It's so easy to just go into the proliferating thinking process of just going from one thing to the next, one thought to the next, one object to the next. So then you're stopping that. You know, you're no longer seeking to just drift into proliferation, conceptual proliferation, papancha, the Pali word, papancha means conceptual proliferation, wandering mind, to awareness, sustaining that awareness then. I found with sound of silence, it's like I could just stay with that long enough to where the awareness connects. It isn't just uh, momentary or fragmentary. And then uh, I could bring up, then I explored Sakyaditi as I became more confident in this, in this continuum of consciousness. And, and I could create myself, the worried, self-conscious. And I don't, I'm not particularly see myself as arrogant or thinking myself as on the Sakyaditi level as the, the best. I'm tend to uh, be critical, very self-critical. See myself always through negative perceptions. So I'd, I'd think of these. I'd bring them up in the consciousness. But I'm listening to the sound of silence. And at the same time, creating Sakyaditi. But it's different, isn't it? Then if I'm just caught in Sakyaditi, then I don't notice sound of silence. I'm just going along with the papancha or conceptual proliferation. It just goes on and on. Same old patterns when you... You know, you you know, you go, you, you develop habits of thinking about yourself, of conceiving yourself. So you start with a conceptual conceptual proliferation. You know, you start something as I'm I'm uh, not uh, I'm something wrong with me, and then it goes on. You know, the same old pattern. So instead of you know, but this, in this practice, then the the intention is is the sound of silence, but not annihilating sakyaditi. Is not to get rid of it, but to investigate sakyaditi, not through right and wrong, good or bad ego, but recognizing the sense of self as 
whether it's, you know, it's negative or positive, the best, worst, or mediocre, whatever, you know, it's quality is, is not the issue anymore. And of course that's thinking, you know, it, actually these pronouns, me and mine, you know, they're very, this sense of this is mine, this is me, is in English, you know, this is, creates a strong sense of separation. This is my seat, my robe, my life. You know, get into, ex, you know, emphasizing my. This is mine, me. What about me? And then the resting in the silence. You're listening to this, this tendency to say me and mine. And then as you, you know, as you you know, then the me and mine begin to, you can't sustain me and mine when you're intentionally doing it. The illusion of a kind of permanent me and mine, you can't sustain it when you're with the silence. Dissolves. But you can assume me and mine is your permanent state, you know, if you don't notice this. If you have no reference for it, <coughs> then then you can go back, you know, me, my problems, oh, what to do, and then, then you go back to your cootie, me and my problems, same old problems. You go into London, me and my problems. Go to Thailand, me and my problems. Uh, you think it's the same person all the time, whether it's in Thailand or here in the shrine room or in your cootie. <laughs> you assume you're the same me and mine all the time. But this that, that's not apparent here and now, is it? That's, that's just uh, ignorance of Ija, having never investigated Dhamma, then you just operate from this, this uh, Sakyaditi all the time and carry it around as if it was a kind of permanent state. My problem is, you know, my problem is an ongoing uh, thing that I'm carrying with me everywhere. But if I put it in a context, me and uh, me and mine just dissolves. And then what's left when me and mine is gone is this. There's there's still subjective awareness. It's pure you could say pure subjectivity. But it's not mine or me. There's no need for it to be anything, you know. It's a, you know, am I a sotapanna or whatever? That make that doesn't make any sense in this way. It doesn't compute because uh, you know I am a sotapanna or I'm not a sotapanna. These are this is still sakyaditi, isn't it? The sense of I am this, uh, I'm not thinking I'm not a sotapanna is the same thing. <laughs> You're looking at it in this way. <coughs> but this is, you know, seeing the way it is. So these four stages are not for identif not for feeding Sakyaditi. <coughs> They're just helpful guides for reflection. If you use these skillfully, you know, they're very helpful because so many of you, you know, have so many doubts about your practice and where you are, you know, and so you 
you know, you've been at it for years and you're not quite sure what you, what, where you are in it, you know, so, and then the, these terms uh, are oftentimes a bit frightened of them because the, because of our egos, well, the way our ego wants to grasp something, wanting to, to get some kind of title for having spent so many years as a samana, or we go into the pusillanimous mode of, no, I don't think I've attained it. I'm not a sotapanna yet, but I do. I have increased faith in the Dhamma, and and I don't regret being a Buddhist monk, but it's time to disrobe now and uh, explore other possibilities. Uh, I'm very grateful. You get this all the time, you know. Very grateful to the Sangha. Thanks. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I know what the next line is too. <laughs> and it's sakaditi. <laughs> and so this is, uh, you know, the encouragement toward toward uh, using. The, the, these these teachings are to be used, you know. Therefore, they're skillful means, and they're very skillful if you if you use them properly, not for creating sakyaditi, but for awakening. So the reason why I can I am confident in this because you know I've explored it in in this way. Uh, so it's like very clear to me. Sakyatiti silabhata brahmasa They're not just kind of things you have to get rid of that hopefully fall away if you get a lot of samadhi or develop more mindfulness. Because that, that's still sakyaditi, isn't it? You know, I've got to get more samadhi, more concentration, more mindfulness. I should be more, you know, I should... Uh, Surrender to the form, I should, all the shoulds and shouldn'ts of monasticism. Still sakyaditi. Even though they're oftentimes good or right, the forms of sakyaditi, it's still sakyaditi. And so that's why I'm pointing beyond the condition to the unconditioned or in terms of our experience, you know, at this moment, consciousness, Space or not, we don't create them out of ignorance. I don't create this space. You know, it's just wait, recognizing it. Consciousness, the sound of silence is just recognizing it. It's like this, you know. I don't, I'm not creating it through refined, concentrated practices. Just recognizing it. Then, then I have perspective because. This, the, like space, includes, doesn't it? Everything in this room belongs here. You know, I might like, want things and don't want things to be in this room, but that's my personal preference. But in terms of space itself, it receives whatever comes into the space. You know, it's not saying, not picking and choosing about who, who is allowed in this shrine room. The space doesn't care. It'll take anyone, anything that comes into it. Same with, with the consciousness. 
It's not saying only only the the purest forms, the best, the most beautiful, can enter my consciousness. Consciousness receives whatever, devils, angels, purity, impurity, right, wrong, good, bad, everything. Mara, Mara's welcome, God and Jesus, everything. <laughs> so then, so then the. Uh, then the, the in this position of the knowing, it's like you're you you're you're coming from this unconditioned awareness to look at the condition, not to judge it but to recognize. So this is wisdom, discernment, discerning the condition as the condition. <laughs> 